listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. What a time to be alive. These days, everybody's a comic. Everybody's got a joke. Everybody's got a punchline. If you have a punchline, you don't keep it to yourself. You get it out there on social media immediately. Here is the setup to the joke. It comes from Canadian Press. Liberal leader Justin Trudeau's election plane was damaged in a fender bender with the media bus. Here is the report from Canadian Press. Justin Trudeau's campaign plane had just landed in the B.C. capital late yesterday after flying Trudeau, his team, and several accompanying journalists across the country on day one of the federal election campaign. A media bus was parked near the plane to transport reporters from the tarmac, but as it pulled away, it drove under the plane's wing. The bottom of the wing sustained visible damage from the dragged-out scrape. A Trudeau spokeswoman says the plane will certainly be properly assessed, but that Trudeau's travel plans today to Kamloops BC and Edmonton remain the same. Karen Rebo, the Canadian Press. Here's more from Global's Mercedes Stevenson as we do our joke setup here. Punchlines on the way. Here is Global's Mercedes Stevenson, who was actually on the media bus at the time of the incident. As we were leaving, pulling away from the aircraft, we heard a loud sort of like scraping or rolling sound, and everyone was looking up, thinking, was it a bag that was rolling back through the overhead compartment? And then we looked and realized the wing of the campaign plane was on top of the box. That is Mercedes Stevenson talking about this incident with the plane. All right. Jokesters, pranksters. Here's a couple of Bon Mots that I've lifted off of Twitter this morning. Hey, looks like Trudeau's left wing is damaged. (laughs) How about a couple more? An investigation has revealed there was so much BS on the plane that the enormous weight lowered the plane's height. (laughs) You know, somebody should check to see if Jody Wilson-Raybould isn't actually under that liberal bus. (laughs) Stop it. Um, The media bus driver chose forward and damage to the left wing of the liberal plane. That one, not so good. But hey, there we go. There's a selection of jokes for you from the hive mind on Twitter this morning. Let's do a quick uh, roundabout around the election as we get going on day two. The prime minister in uh, Vancouver, or actually on the West Coast, and what was he promising today? You heard it in the news. The help for first-time home buyers, and the actual promise here is to up the first-time home buyer incentive program. This will be uh, pl- applicable to anybody who earns less than $120,000 a year. And what it does is it'll kick in to 10% of the purchase price of the home as long as the borrower comes up with the minimum amount for an insured mortgage. Of course, the thing is, is that that's what Trudeau is talking about today, but he will not be talking tonight because he will not be part of this televised debate. And Andrew Shear was with kids this morning talking about EI, and here he is approaching the media with his opening statement. 
Merci tout le monde. Thank you very much, everyone. Uh, I've got uh, time for a few quick questions because I'll be going to prepare for the debate tonight. Uh, unfortunately, Justin Trudeau won't be there. Uh, no surprise after the week he's had with uh, revelations about the RCMP looking into possible obstruction of justice uh, charges. Uh, we just had a very successful, uh, we just had a very enjoyable event here, got, uh, spending some time with some uh, kids here, uh, highlighting another measure that the Conservative Party is putting forward to help make life more affordable by making EI, maternity and parental benefits tax-free. That is Andrew Scheer speaking this morning, talking about Justin Trudeau, who will not be at the televised debate, which will be televised on city television and hosted, co-hosted with McLean's magazine this evening. The Prime Minister not attending. Uh-oh, look out, Andy. It's an abortion question. The Conservative government will not reopen this issue, and as Prime Minister, I will oppose, I will vote against any measure that does attempt to do that. We are going to be focused on things that unite Canadians, unite our own uh, team. Uh, it's not a surprise that the Liberals are once again trying to push this thing out. The only thing, the only people who are continually trying to reopen this debate or, or, or fear-monger on this issue are Liberals. And that continues to be an issue that will dog the Conservative leader, no matter how many times he says precisely what he just said there. The assessment from day one, though, was largely that Jugmeet Singh had a good start to the campaign. That he laid out uh, his policy, and no fumbles, no, you know, it was all pretty good. That was sort of the assessment from a number of commentators. He began day two in Brampton, which is his former home riding. Of course, now he represents the West Coast, and there are many who wonder how wise that was to run in the West when really, you know, he has a strong base in Brampton, and there is a possibility that despite all the NDP federal troubles, they may actually pick up a couple of seats federally in the Brampton area. But I found this interesting. Here's what he had to promise in Brampton. We commit to building a new hospital in Brampton. We will support the funding for this new hospital. We also commit to supporting the expansion of Peel Memorial. Wait a second. If I know my politics, and some days I do, health is a a provincial jurisdiction. Are you confused, Jugmeet? Because you now, you're the federal leader. Uh, It's absolutely a provincial jurisdiction, and what we're committing today is to to make sure that we put the funding on the table to make this happen. Uh, We are committed to building this hospital, and we know we've got to work with the provincial government, but we can't just stand by and give up when we've got a conservative government that doesn't see the importance of building and investing in health care, and we've got a liberal prime minister, Mr. Trudeau, who's neglected his responsibility. Okay, so the conservative government in Ontario does not believe in building health care, according to Mr. Singh, but he's going to, if he wins put money on the table and work with the provincial government to build the hospital. That seems like a bit of a stretch. That seems difficult. Kim Wright is a principal with Wright Strategies and joins me on the phone. Hi, Kim. Hi, Alan. How are you? I'm good. What do you make of that wading into the provincial mandate here, elbows up, saying, we're going to give you some cash, conservatives who don't like health care? It's actually 
actually not dissimilar to what the Harper government uh, did a few years ago in York Region with their hospital. It had been talked about for years, uh, but they they stepped up with some funding to try to move that project forward. So it really is about your priorities and where federal governments can leverage either dollars or their moral authority, they should. Uh, we see this in a number of files, whether it be healthcare, uh, housing, which you know the Trudeau government likes to talk about their housing strategy, but uh, it took them a long time to come up with a program that's actually less of what the Harper government had done. So really it's about putting your money where your mouth is and what are your priorities and who are you really in this for. But isn't this really more just about sort of trying to embarrass both the progressive conservative government here and on some level the, the liberal government federally? This is really almost more of an attack on Ford, is it not? Look, if that's what you have to do to get a hospital finally built in Brampton, uh, which has been uh, chronically uh, underserviced uh, for years and been on everybody's uh, priority list, but nobody's actual to-do list, uh, that's that's a concern. It's, it's what we also see in transit funding and all sorts of other things that the Prime Minister went across Canada to write a whole bunch of uh, checks that won't necessarily be cashed uh, until well after the election if a whole bunch of other things might come to fruition. Mr. Singh is dealing with a question that will dog him just the way that the abortion question, I think, will dog Mr. Shear throughout the campaign. And the problem for Mr. Singh is a problem of candidates. And we've had to jettison a couple of more, and there's all these questions about whether or not they'll even have a full slate of candidates. Here's what Mr. Singh had to say about that. Well, I'm, I'm an optimist. I believe we can always fight to make things better. I don't want to ever give up. So I'm, I'm committed to the vision of making sure we've got a, a candidate and, uh, that represent Canada, that represent who we are. So it's tough work, but it's important work. And I'm, I'm happy and proud that we're doing it. And we're going to continue to make sure that we've got uh, the best list of candidates possible for people to choose from. But uh, rest assured that by uh, Election Day, everyone in Canada we can vote for a new Democrat no matter where they live. That is Jugmeet Singh speaking this morning in Brampton about uh, fielding a full slate of candidates for the federal election. And I'm talking with Kim Wright, principal of Wright Strategies. And Kim, I'm reminded of the momentum that Andrea Horvath had in the last provincial election, and then suddenly some wonky candidates started popping up. And is that going to be a problem for Mr. Singh down the stretch? What Jigmeet has been doing and the party has been doing, they will absolutely 100% field 338 candidates across Canada. There is no question in my mind about that. The New Democrats field candidates in every riding. We have for every uh, campaign that I've been involved in over the last 30-some-odd years. So no question he'll do 338. What he's not doing is appointments. We do in the New Democrats a nomination process, unlike the Liberals who have their emergency uh, electoral uh, policies so they can appoint their chosen few uh, to be their candidates, uh, which, you know, why they would have to use that during a fixed election period is still beyond me. Uh, but we're going through a nomination process. But the other thing that Jagmeet has also challenged the party to do is not just look at the usual suspects, but try to bring other voices to the table. We saw that uh, earlier this week in Manitoba, uh, where the New Democrats not only increased their seat count, but uh, elected Indigenous leaders. They elected the two first uh, Black MLAs in Manitoba's history and a number of uh, other different ethnicities, bringing those different voices to the table. It's harder work, to be sure, than just who we've always run in the past, but it's an important thing to do. Kim Wright is principal with Wright Strategies. Thank you so much for being on the program. 
Thank you, Alan. So that's a quick round the uh, country in terms of where we are on day two so far. Obviously, we have a couple more things to happen throughout the day. We'll keep you up to date on that. And then, of course, that debate tonight. Isn't that going to be fun? Will you watch that? Will you pay attention to it because Trudeau is not there? Or is it just, is it not important if JT's not there? I think the latter is unfortunately the case, and the rest of them can bash each other and bash Trudeau, who's not there. But I don't think it adds up to a whole lot, at least not this early. Eternal, especially in this city for hockey fans, as once again we look forward to the beginning of a new NHL season and we begin to sketch out where we believe the parade would go and then we just hold our breath, do we not? Well, today, as I mentioned, is press day, and as the summer winds down, the Leafs are gearing up for the new season. The team is opening the training camp today. The GM took questions from reporters today, which mainly focused on the team's leading scorer, who still has not signed a contract. Mitch Marner, at this point, is an unrestricted free agent. He's a big part of what we do. Um, He's an extraordinarily talented player. And, you know, in addition to that, I think even though these negotiations can uh, go in ways in which the public can form a different opinion. He's an excellent person that walks in here every day uh, with great energy, great enthusiasm, and brings a lot of life to our clubs. You know who else is an excellent person? Mark Carcassol, Global News reporter who's down there at Leafs Training Day at the Press Day and joins me on the line. Hey, Mark. Check is in the mail, Alan. Check is in the mail for that one. You got it. You got it, sir. Here's the thing. I, I listened to a bunch of the um, press conference from Kyle. This one stood out to me about negotiating. I think in every negotiation, everybody thinks on their side they're being reasonable, and I think the major argument then comes down to arguing about whether who's more reasonable than the other, right? And uh, I think it happens in every negotiation we have, whether it's at home or in business or in employment or in public contract negotiations like this, where there's obviously a strong public investment in the matter and people care deeply about the team. But I think at times they've probably thought we haven't been reasonable, and, and I would say it's vice versa in every negotiation that we do. Mark, what did you take away from that in terms of an inside look at negotiations with Mitch Marner? Well, I sort of got the vibe from that, uh, and specifically that answer. That's that's the one that stood out to me during the, the news conference, too, is that they may still be very far apart. I mean, I'm certainly no hockey insider, but, I mean, they've been negotiating now, I think, pretty much since last season ended. Uh, and the fact that now here we are at the start of training camp and we're still talking about who's more reasonable than who – uh, seems to me like there may not be a resolution sometime soon. I know Kyle Dubas, the GM, said he's very optimistic that they could sign him by the start of the regular season on October 2nd, but uh, certainly the way he answered that question didn't give me any optimism of that. What was your takeaway from his demeanor? I'm always struck by him, obviously, his youth and his sweet goggles, but you know, just the way that he handles those questions. Was he rattled at all as reporters kept asking essentially the same question over and over again? Not at all. I think because he's been 
facing a lot of these questions for the last several months now, so he's probably accustomed to how to answer it and how basically to say that, you know, there is no deal and there will be one when the time comes in different ways. He's pretty calm the way he handles things like that. You know, you've, you've got to know being the GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs in the situation that they're currently in, that when you're coming into a news conference like this, that is going to be the first question you're going to be asked, probably the last one too, and you'll probably be asked six other times in different ways along the way. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure he's, he's rehearsed how he's going to answer this. He did make a point of noting at the start of the press conference, though, that he's going to talk about the Mitch Marner situation today here at Media Day, and they will no longer address the issue after this until the situation is resolved. He didn't say until he signed. He said until the situation is resolved. And there's a number of ways it could still be resolved. Yeah, of course, that doesn't preclude, you know, pointed questions. I mean, I, they can always defer or deflect them, but that doesn't mean those questions aren't still going to get thrown at him. Absolutely. Just because you say you won't address it doesn't mean someone won't ask you about it, but I don't think he will put the same sort of time and effort into answering the question from here on out. He'll probably refer to, as I said at the start of training camp, we'll discuss it again when the situation's resolved. What did he have to say about Babcock? Because I think there's a lot of people that are wondering, you know, if this team stumbles out of the gate, considering Mr. Babcock's tenure and what's happened over the last couple of seasons, if this is not a good start for this team, is his job in jeopardy? I didn't get that sense. I mean, he was he was kind of asked that. He insists that he and Mike Babcock get along very well. Uh, they communicate regularly. They've had discussions in the offseason. I know uh, that uh, Coach Babcock did receive uh, you know some criticism for the amount of ice time he gave some of the star players uh, in that final playoff game in the first round that they lost and got eliminated after. But it, it seems to me like the relationship is still relatively strong, again, without being inside those meetings that they have, I, I couldn't tell you exactly how strong it was, but I, you, you kind of get a sense, and we've gone through so many coaches in this city with the Leafs, you kind of get a sense when one's time is up, uh, just by the demeanor in press conferences, and I, I personally didn't get that sense, but, I mean, again, I, I don't work for the Leafs, and I'm not privy to some of those conversations, so I couldn't say for sure. And how about those free Leaf tickets? How are those working out? Uh, not. They're not working out, at least not for me. Do you get offered any? Is that, I, I, I don't. I really thought when I got into this job that there'd be more free tickets involved. Well, we can always watch the games out in Maple Leaf Square. <laughs> <laughs> well, and here's, let me just ask you this, because I think this is interesting, and, and just, just your sense of it. You know, this city went totally mad for the Raptors. And you know I'm a huge Raptors fan, and, I, I you know, if I had to choose, obviously I'd to choose basketball each and every day. Sure. Do you think that when we get a new season going here, and then when we do actually have the NBA and the NHL going at the same time, what kind of divided loyalties? Do you think there's a real switch in terms of loyalties, in terms of what people are going to watch and consume in terms of, you know, sports? It's it's tough to say. I mean, I've certainly seen even just as a reporter, you know, covering uh, two various teams through their seasons and whatnot, there's definitely a much more, there's like a, a sort of louder hype, if you will, around the Raptors, certainly. People seem to be a lot more passionate around the Raptors. Uh, and that's probably because they've had a team for the last few seasons now that, you know, obviously they won the championship this past summer, but even in the years leading up to that have made pushes into the playoffs and whatnot. Whereas the Leafs are still sort of at that point where the Raptors were a few years ago, where they're getting good. They're exciting to watch, definitely. But, you know, when, when it's a team that can't seem to make it past the first round, they don't generate the same hype. Everyone loves a winner. And until the Leafs are the winners of at least a playoff series, I think, you know, a lot of people will still kind of root for the Raptors a little more. But I think there's, 
there's still a lot of love for the Leafs too. And I think I was saying earlier when I when I did the news at noon with Farah, uh, people now in the GTA have a taste of gold. We've seen the Raptors win the NBA championship. Just last week we saw Bianca Andreescu's from Mississauga uh, win the U.S. Open. So people are starting to know around the GTA what it's like to to have a championship, and I think they'll start demanding more from their teams and, and supporting those teams a little more, too. Mark Carcassol is a Global News reporter, and you can watch his report on Training Day on Global News at 5.30 and 6. Mark, always great having you on the program. Thank you so much. Always great being here. Thanks, Alan. Let's talk about Young and Eglinton real quick. As you know, on Tuesday, a 54-year-old woman was struck and killed by a cement truck as she was trying to cross a road there. Michael Cole is the counselor for the area, and he was on the morning show this morning. He says that something has to be done to make that area safer. It is it is ridiculous in that area if you've been there, and that is not the only section of the city where crossing the road is taking your life in your own hands, literally. Global's Dave Woodard has more on Mike Cole's demand that something be done, especially around Young and Egg. That's the sound from Young and Eglinton around the clock, and Councillor Mike Cole says it's the construction that's making the area a dangerous one for pedestrians. We just don't have anywhere, I don't know, in Canada where there's that much construction going on. He says something needs to be done. It really requires a, a comprehensive traffic safety management plan. Cole will go to council with a series of recommendations, including developing a traffic safety plan for the area and bringing in more full-time crossing guards. Dave Woodard, Global News. Am I the only one that thinks, why didn't we do this before? What Now we're going to look at a safety plan? Isn't that your job? What exactly is the councillor talking about here? What we're uh, asking for is that we get uh, all the uh, major developers that are uh, constructing uh, these towers in the Young Eglinton area to sit down with our transportation staff and figure out a traffic management plan uh, as we go forward. Okay, majority of the construction in that area is Crosstown. Now, there's a lot of big condos as well, but the Crosstown is snarling everything. What? Aren't these people paying attention from the get-go? Does it take... Does it take a body bag for the councillors, for the city, to start paying attention? Do you feel safe walking in this city? I'll tell you what, I don't. Here's Mike Cole explaining more about what is needed. So here, here you've got all these uh, pedestrians, you've got trucks, you, you've got uh, really uh, dangerous places to walk, uh, you know, obstructions on the sidewalk with pylons. So it really requires a, a comprehensive uh, traffic uh, safety management plan along with uh, more crossing personnel that are trained to deal with this kind of thing. Yeah, it's multifaceted. Anytime you hear a politician say something like that, that's a dodge. It is an absolute dodge. And I think the people of this city have a right to be angry. They have a right to be fearful. I live in the east side of the city, and sometimes when I'm driving around in Scarborough on my way up to Don Mills, I got, you know, you see people crossing the road just in the middle of the street, and you're like, well, that's a dumb thing to do. And then you realize, well, it's about three kilometers to the nearest cross. And that's the kind of crap 
that people in the city have to deal with. It's dangerous and it needs to be fixed. Welcome back to the program. A couple of stories that are making news and really sort of jumped out at me today. And these are stories that aren't at the top of the news agenda. Some of the things that I'm uh, seeing is, do you think you'll ever have to go to the grocery store again? Do you hate going to the grocery store? I was at the Walmart yesterday doing some picking up, getting some stuff. And there's a guy there and he, he just shows up and he says, yeah, you got my order. And they bring him all his groceries. And I think to myself, why am I shopping like a chump? Why am I doing that? And then this news today that Walmart now says, forget about even coming to the store. Are you kidding me? We'll bring it to you. Walmart says it plans to have more than half the country covered by its Delivery Unlimited program by the end of this year. Subscribers who pay $98 a year will get unlimited grocery deliveries. The company says a pilot program in Tampa, Salt Lake City, Houston, and Miami went well, so it will now offer this program in 1,400 stores in 200 markets with plans to expand to 1,600 by the end of the year. Walmart says Delivery Unlimited employs more than 45,000 personal shoppers and customers can still pay for their deliveries individually without a membership. Brian Clark, ABC News. See, you just all now you do is you just order it online and then the driverless car brings it to your house. So you just do that. How about this story of a young Indian man who tried to get to the United States for a job, but he pretended he was someone he was not. Here's the story. A man with a gray beard, glasses, and a turban showing up at the airport in New Delhi. He had a U.S. visa and a passport showing his age was 81. But something wasn't right. The man arousing suspicion when he refused to get out of a wheelchair at a security checkpoint saying he was too old, reportedly refusing to make eye contact. And then there was the voice that didn't match the age. And the face? Just too smooth. Security finding out the 81-year-old was actually 31 with a completely different name. The imposter handed over to the Delhi police. Dave Packer, ABC News. Yeah, when I'm 64, as the Beatles used to say, here's a story that could change the entire history of the Beatles. Abbey Road was the Beatles' last album, and the story goes that that was by design. They wanted to go out on an artistic high, but acclaimed Beatles author Mark Lewison played a recently discovered tape for The Guardian in which the band discusses plans for a post-Abbey Road release. John Lennon can be heard talking about a songwriting split. Lewison calls the new info a revelation that changes the history of the Beatles. And from there to football. The Browns, the Cleveland Browns, have apparently banned the wrong fan. The football team, the organization, tried to ban this guy for dumping a beer on opposing players. That is not allowed, folks, not even in the NFL. You can concuss somebody, but no beer throwing, please. The problem is, the fan they banned says he wasn't even at the game. The Browns, who have had one winning season in the last 16 years, were losing again Sunday. They say touchdown, a third interception. And when the Titans scored on that interception, a Browns fan in the end zone dumped beer on the celebrating defenders. Within 48 hours, the Browns said they'd identified the fan and told him he's banned from future games. But the guy who got that call said he hasn't been to a game in nine years and said he's a DJ with proof he was doing a wedding at the time. 
In this case, the Browns aren't admitting defeat, saying only they continue to investigate the beer incident. Scott Goldberg, ABC News. Isn't that the best? I don't even go to your stupid games. You ban me all you like. I don't care. Uh, And this one's going viral right now. This one out of Delaware. A Delaware woman who thought she could not have kids says she unexpectedly gave birth in the bathroom without showing any symptoms before delivering. I've been trying for years. Nothing came out of it. So I'm 37 years old and it is what it is, she told Fox News. It happened so fast. Just came out and there, the baby, boom, in her hand. Incredible. And there's video, actually, pardon me, still pictures online right now that have gone absolutely viral. Something else that has gone viral, more locally, closer to home, is some photos of, or rather a particular photo of a truck in a Aldershot Go parking lot. You may have seen this. There have been a rash of thefts now from cars, and this one shows this sweet-looking vehicle up on blocks after its tires and rims were stolen at the Aldershot GO station. And according to police, this has happened more than once, a handful of times in recent weeks, at that particular Aldershot GO parking lot. That's according to Halton Police. Somebody is picking off rims and wheels from pickup trucks. The latest theft happened Tuesday night. So if this isn't the first time, what is it that Metrolink's doing about it? If you're parking your vehicle in a go parking lot, should you not expect some level of security? And Marie Aitkins from Metrolinks was on this radio station talking talking to Kelly Cotrera. Here's what she said about security. Well, there's because we have do have security measures on on site. We do have staff. We have transit safety officers in and out. We have uh, uh, we have evidence like people witness evidence so that they will tell us. You know, I was just there a few minutes ago, and it wasn't uh, wasn't like that. So it was. Um, so there's a variety of ways that our our transit safety officer and and it's our investigation team that work with the police to uh, investigate these. And I can assure you they're being being investigated very aggressively by our transit safety officers. And uh, and, uh, and then they have to work with the, the Halton uh, police in this instance because it's a criminal offense. And we don't have authority under um, to um, lay charges when they're criminal offenses. Yes, there's a variety of ways that our uh, staff and security systems will completely ignore this. This is essentially what she's saying. Well, yeah. Mm, well, now that it's happened a whole bunch of times and, and the thing's gone viral, well, we're going to look into it. Here's Anne Marie talking also to Kelly, where Kelly asks her if this particular parking lot is more vulnerable to, uh, than others. Well, you know, your 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 vehicle is uh, is vulnerable wherever it's parked. Whether it's parked in front of my house, I've had my car stolen right in front of my house one time, and um, but in any public parking lot, and and Go, and Go Transit has about seventy five thousand parking spaces. So, um, and Lakeshore West is one of our busiest lines with the most parking, and and uh, that seems to be a target right now. But I. I we want to. We really want to impress upon our customers that you need to take steps, and we need to take steps, and we are doing that to ensure your vehicle uh, is less vulnerable to being broken into, to being stolen, to being jacked up on uh, um, cinder blocks. That is not particularly reassuring, and I can tell you personally, I've had a vehicle 
uh, broken into and vandalized at a Go parking lot. This is a while ago. I borrowed my father's car, parked it out there. I think it was, I don't, can't remember, it was out in the east somewhere. Left it for a couple of days. Dad gets a call. So that worked out nicely for me. I don't borrow my father's car anymore. I have my own car. Thank you very much. Welcome to adulthood. Keeping our eye on the situation surrounding vaping with the mystery illness and all kinds of concerns about your health in terms of if you use a vape product and also your kids' health and marketing to your kids. And President Trump saying yesterday that a ban on most flavored vaping products is the right response to what health officials are calling a quote-unquote epidemic of e-cigarette use by teenagers. Here is more on what the president is saying. We can't allow people to get sick, and we can't have our youth be so affected. Health officials are investigating about 450 possible cases around the country, including six deaths of illnesses linked to e-cigarettes and other vaping devices. The president discussed the matter at the White House with Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar, who told reporters new data show a surge in adolescent usage. The youth are drawn to flavored e-cigarettes. Azar says the Food and Drug Administration is developing new guidelines. So we simply have to remove these attractive flavored products from the marketplace. While the government studies the safety of the devices and whether they help adult smokers quit traditional cigarettes. Ben Thomas, Washington. Now, the president making this foray into e-cigarette policy after this recent surge in illnesses that are possibly linked to vaping, and that's grabbed the attention of lawmakers, regulators, parents, media. We've talked about, uh, talked about it a lot on this program. A survey taken in 2018 showed that one in five high school students used e-cigarettes. That's more than three million kids in the United States, and it's up 78% than the previous year. Justin Trudeau, on the campaign trail, was asked about this. Judge for yourself this response. I can tell you that Health Canada has been engaged with this issue over many months uh, in consultations, uh, working with experts and researchers to uh, determine uh, the right path forward. We've already taken uh, a number of steps on uh, vaping and harmful tobacco use, uh, and we're always looking uh, to do more to keep Canadians safe. But our decisions will be made uh, based on evidence, based on data, and we will have more to say as Health Canada continues to do its work of keeping Canadians safe, including uh, from uh, the dangers of vaping. That is Liberal leader Justin Trudeau talking about vaping issues this morning on the campaign trail. A children's aid society used $865,000 that was meant for foster children's education savings to cover operating expenses. Brant Family and Children's Services is the children's aid society in Brantford, Ontario, and it had 317 children in its care in the last quarter of 2018. 2019. Emma Paling is the reporter who has filed this story for the Huffington Post and joins me on the line. Hi, Emma. Hi, Alan. So what did you find in terms of this $865,000? What was it spent on? What was it supposed to go to? So the money was supposed to go to RESPs, 
for the children in Brant Family and Children's Services Care. All the foster agencies in Ontario are supposed to open RESPs for the children that they care for. They're supposed to contribute it's $60 a month for kids over six, $160 a month for kids under six. It's, so it's not that much money, but this agency was not doing that. They were just using that money to cover their other costs. Um, this agency has been in the news a lot this year because they're pretty much drowning in debt. They spend $1.8 million more every year than they bring in. Um, there was no details available on exactly what costs this was going towards. The ministry and the agency basically didn't answer any of my specific questions. And what is there in terms of a dispute with the province? Is this something in terms of a funding issue back and forth between the province and the agency? Yes, the staff and the board have been fighting with the Ontario government over their funding formula for a number of years. This goes back to the previous Liberal government. Um, there's been a number of changes to the way that children's aid societies get their funding in the last few years. So something that the province is doing is transferring a lot of cases to new in, um, Indigenous-led children's aid societies. But Brant says that they're losing a disproportionate amount of money, so they've lost their funding as they transfer cases to the new agency, but Brandt actually says that they have more children in their care than they did before the funding changed because of the opioid crisis and because of a number of other factors that are affecting Brandt. So it's been a, there's been a huge disagreement between the agency and the ministry for a number of years, and it became very dramatic this summer when the entire board quit to protest what it said was chronic underfunding that was putting the children at risk. The government has a new minister in the most recent shuffle. Todd Smith is now Minister of Children, Community and Social Services, taking over for Elisa McLeod. What's the response been from the ministry? So he spoke about this in July when the board quit. Um, he pretty much said that Brandt wasn't using all of the money that had been available to the agency. They weren't uh, maximizing the different choices they had to bring in revenue. And so he appointed a new supervisor. The former executive director, who had been very critical of the government, was placed on leave. Um, he's no longer talking to the media. And Todd Smith appointed a new supervisor who has taken over the agency. She couldn't really tell me anything about the RESPs, and neither could the minister. So that means we just don't know whether that 865000 will be replaced? No, they neither the ministry nor the supervisor of the agency even acknowledged my questions about the RESPs. They couldn't tell me if there's a plan to replace that money. When are they going to replace the money? I'll certainly be following up and filing some more freedom of information requests so I can find out if that does happen in the next few months or years. Emma Paling is a Huffington Post reporter, and you can read her story about the Brandt Family in Children's Services issue. It's online now. Emma, thank you so much for being on the program. Thanks for having me. I want to quickly tell you about this story that I enjoyed out of British Columbia. In If distracted driving is something that drives you crazy, the British Columbia justice system has now said that you cannot, I repeat, you cannot eat ramen while driving legally. Not allowed. Corinne Jackson claimed she was able to handle the steering wheel and a bowl of ramen in one hand, and she was not using uh, utensils at the time. So she tried to fight this ticket. The judge, the justice, Brian Burgess, rejected it. 
saying that uh, he wasn't condemning all vehicular nibblers. I am not finding that a person who is eating while driving is driving without due care and attention, the judge wrote. But he said he had a reasonable, but pardon me, a reasonable and prudent person should have at least one hand on the wheel while the car is in motion. The hand that is on the steering wheel should not also be holding some other object, like chopsticks, for example. So, those of you driving right now and who are hungry, please wait to consume your ramen noodles until safe. And if you are thinking of picking up some noodles or something from a drive-thru, you may be asking yourself, am I saving myself any time by going through the drive-thru? Did you see the story in the star? This is interesting. Basically, a couple of star reporters, this is what happens in newsrooms now. They go, you know what? Get the kids to do this thing. Get a couple of those kids, uh, give them 20 bucks each, and see who gets served faster, the drive-thru or the guy in the car. So they sent out a couple of reporters to do that, and lo and behold, they found out that a lot of the time, just going into the store is way faster, especially when you're dealing with one of those Hortons. You know the ones I'm talking about out there in the Burbs. I grew up in Burlington, and I go see my family there quite a bit, and every time I'm there, I'm thinking to myself, really? You're going to sit in your car for that long? You, and like, there's nobody inside the thing? And finally, I leave you with a public display of affection. Do you know who Sean Mendez is? I'm sure you do. He's a big pop star. Well, he's got a famous girlfriend, Camilla Cabello. Is that her name? I believe so. I don't know. I don't follow the pop world that closely. But I want to tell you about this. Apparently, people have been asking this this couple, they're very famous, you know, uh, what's it like? How do you kiss? They actually ask this. And so this is what this pair, Sean Mendes, has now posted this from Mexico on his Instagram. We just want to show you how you really kiss. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then it starts. Remember back in the day when you just kept that thing to your, well, you say, dude, please get a room. You know, come on. Now, there it is right there in the social media for everybody to see. Mm-mm. The kiss was good. 